Hey, this is Pastor Jeff Workmeister of Elevate Church, and welcome to our podcast. I want to thank you for listening today. I hope this inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the podcast. Uh, Welcome to week three of The Table. I know last week we took a little break. We talked about where we're at according to end times, and if you didn't have a chance to listen to that, please go back, look up that podcast, uh, look it up online. Um, I just talked about 10 signs to show you biblically why we're at the end, and it wasn't my opinion, it was just the word, so go back and uh, watch that, but today we're going to come back to the table. We're going to allow the Lord to continue to uh, speak to us through this series. Go with me to Psalms chapter 23, Psalms chapter 23, okay? And then we're also going to be looking at Judges, Judges chapter 6 today, if you can kind of find both of those places. Psalms 23, Judges 6. Psalms 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd. How many of you know that this is super important, okay? It doesn't matter if we're just good church people. I know that we want, you know, we want our golden star. We came to church today. We put our kids in the kids' ministry you know, we worship today. We gave a little bit. We, we want to feel like we're good people. But listen, good people go to hell all the time. I'm going to say it again. Good people go to hell all the time. What do we need? We need the shepherd. We need Jesus, the one to lead our life, to guide our life. It says this, I shall not want, because I'm with the good shepherd. Verse 2. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still and quiet waters. He refreshes and stores my life. He leads me on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Man, what a great word. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. Fear no evil. Why? The shepherd's with me. Your rod protects me, your staff guides me, they comfort and console me through the dark times of life. You prepare a table, talking about the table. The Lord prepares a table for us with Jesus in the presence of what? Darkness, in the presence of trials, in the presence of really dark moments in our life. That is where we will find Jesus. He sets this table for us to feed us. Okay, to give us grace, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, purpose, joy. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love follow me all the days of my life. How many go, yes, I want that. Yes, I want, I want that right there. I want the goodness, the mercy, the love of the Lord to follow me. I shall dwell with the Lord throughout all my days in the house, in the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Now, Holy Spirit, you have to come and reveal it to us. You have to come and give us wisdom and understanding today. And Lord, we ask that you would guide and direct our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Give it up for the worship team. Get real loud for them. They were awesome. All right, here we go. Verse two, he leads me beside still quiet waters. We've been talking about this. This, but really harping on this part. Verse two, he leads me beside still and quiet waters. Why? Because the Lord calls us sheep. And sheep have a really great tendency to do something called wandering, okay? Walking away, doing what they want, getting lost, okay? And so, 
As the shepherd leads, he wants to lead us to quiet waters. The reason he wants to lead us to quiet waters is so that when the sheep drink from the water, which is great. It's awesome the Lord wants to refresh you. Do you know that? That's why he leads you to the water, is to refresh your soul. Okay, so he leads you to the water. So when you are bending down, drinking of the water, how many of you know that sheep have a bunch of wool around their neck, about five pounds, and if they're next to a current, if they're next to water that's rushing hard and splashing up and getting onto that wool, that wool is going to get what? It's gonna get heavy, and it's going to weigh them down. How many of you know that feeling in life? You just get weighed down by the world, by pressure, by stress, anxiety. And so he says, I'm gonna take you to quiet streams so that the water doesn't rush up and hit your neck so that you won't get what? Pulled in to the current. So we've been talking about currents, okay? Different currents that the Lord is trying to protect us from, keep us away from those rushing waters. So today, we're gonna look at the current of feelings and the feeling of inadequacy. Okay, the feeling of inadequacy. And here's what I know. 100% of every human being in this room, online, listening to the podcast, every one of us knows the feeling of feeling inadequate. We all know that feeling. We get that feeling. So point number one today is the feeling of inadequacy. Here's what I can tell you. I feel this often. I feel this often. I feel it deep in my soul at times. Because here's what I know. I, I know that, that sometimes I just feel like I'm not enough. I just do. Do you know that uh, during your lifetime, during your however many years on, on planet Earth, that you're going to lose around seven important intimate relationships? Okay, so think about that. Seven important, intimate relationships that you've had that you thought, man, we're just gonna be together forever. We're gonna be best friends forever. We're gonna stay together forever. You will lose about seven of those during your life. Maybe it's a close girlfriend. Maybe it was your brother that you were battling with in life. Maybe it was a family member, but now you're at odds with. You're gonna lose about seven intimate, close relationships over the course of your life. Now, for me, as a pastor, I'm gonna tell you this, on average, I will lose seven important relationships over the course of 24 to 36 months, every 24 to 36 months. How do you think I feel? Inadequacy is a big deal, right? I mean, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose sometimes staff members, leaders, I'm gonna lose sometimes friends in the church, you know what I mean? And then, so I'm gonna lose seven important ones over 24 to 36 months, and then guess what? We can actually double that number because I know every 24 months there's gonna be probably double that number of people that just say, yeah, we gotta go somewhere else, or we're moving away, and there's just changeover in the church. It's just how every church goes through this, right? Every church, and, and how many of you know that to the best of my ability, my my ability is to just say, yeah, we understand, I totally get it, we bless you. You know, I never bring people up on stage and go, um, these people are losers and we hate them and they're the worst. 
and we curse them, and we never, we banish you from Elevate Church, and we hope to never see you again. You'd be like, you're a terrible pastor, you know what I mean? We don't do that. We, we do what? We choose to the best of our ability to go, yeah, we understand, we totally get it, we bless you, we honor you, but how many of you know this? I'm human, and I have emotions and big feelings, right? So I can tell you there are many Sunday nights where I go home, like, you know, last Sunday night, I went home, and I feel like we're winning some big things. I was with a great young couple. I don't know if they're at this service or probably at the next service. Mason and Tiana, man, I love them. They're awesome. And I was at lunch with them last Sunday, and God is just just doing big works in their life and their soul. And they came to the church like six months ago and rededicated their lives back to the Lord and they're choosing to follow him. And man, I'll tell you what, as a pastor, that's so encouraging, right? But how many of you know that I can have that feeling, but at the same exact time in the same exact night, I can totally have the opposite feeling of feeling like I'm not enough and feeling like this church is enough, and feeling that there are people that don't choose this church and don't choose me as their pastor. And so here's what I know. This is the truth. I know in the depths of me that you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You understand that there are moments in your life that you feel inadequate as a mom. Mom guilt's real. You know? I, I know I'm not a mom. I don't claim to be a mom, okay? <laughs> right? I watched my wife go through this for years. You know, you feel inadequate as a provider. That's, that's tough. You're working really hard. You're trying really hard. You're trying to provide for your family and your kids. It, it's tough sometimes. Sometimes you feel inadequate as a son. Sometimes you feel inadequate as a parent. Can I get an amen from all the parents, Right? Like, you think you're doing a good job, and then you go out to dinner, and then your kids are screaming, and they're running around the restaurant, and you're like, God, really, right now? This is happening right now? I look like such an idiot right now. There are so many times we feel inadequate as a friend, a daughter, a student, an employee. I totally get that we all understand this. So then what do we do with this? How do we reconcile these feelings of inadequacy? Because here's what I know. They're just feelings. And and feelings will lie to you. Let me give you an example. Later tonight, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to watch my beloved Chicago Bears, okay? All right? And I promise you, at some point in the game, I'm going to feel real positive about Tyson Bajan, our backup quarterback that's playing today, okay? And I'm going to be real excited about Tyson Bajan. I'm going to be like, I am with Agent Bajan. I am down with him, right? And I'm going to feel real good, and I'm actually going to feel this glimmer of hope and joy in my soul that the Bears are going to win. But then what's going to happen? 30 minutes later, I'm going to crash back to reality, right? And I'm going to come back to the reality that the bears are terrible, okay? So what am I saying? Feelings are feelings. I'm thankful for feelings, but they're a terrible master. 
They're a, did you hear what I just said? They are a terrible master. So today we're going to look at how, how do we deal, how do we reconcile this emotion, this feeling of inadequacy, okay? So go with me to Judges chapter 6, verse 1, okay? And I debated to share this first, but the Lord just kind of put his finger on it, and he wanted me to, and, and, and you'll see. It says, the Israelites, this is God's people, did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. How many of you know and understand that sometimes when we wander away, because remember we're sheep, when we wander away from the table, right? Because the Lord is so good that he prepares this table for us. He meets us at the table, right? He, he gives us strength when we're weak. He gives us love when we are feeling horrible. He gives us reassurance of who we are. So he sets up the table, he feeds, he tends, he loves us at the table. But how many of you know that there are so many times in our life that the enemy isn't even distracting us or pulling us away from the table? It's just simply us looking at sin and going, I, I want that, right? Isn't this Eve? Eve just looks at the apple, Eve looks at the fruit, Eve looks at it and she goes, I want the wisdom that it has for me. Right, so, so there's so many times that just temptation comes in our life and it just simply leads us away from the table. It just puts this barrier, because here's what I know about sin. I've never had sin in my life and then felt to myself like I am just so full of joy and peace and happiness. Right? What happens when sin comes in your life? You feel shameful, you feel guilty, you feel like, you know, the least of these. And it doesn't bring you closer to Jesus. It brings you farther away from Jesus. It leads you away from the table. And so some of you are, might be in here going, well, what is sin? Well, you know, the Bible talks about different things in our lives. You know, like it says, don't murder. That's probably a really good one. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, but, but what is sin? It's anything that the Holy Spirit kind of pops up in your heart and says, stop. Stop. You know, like, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't watch that. Don't be a part of that. Yet we go, no, 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 I really like this, though. There, isn't there a way that we can justify this? Isn't there a way that I can just hold on to some darkness? Isn't there a way that I can hold on to some of my old life? And so the Lord is dealing with Israel about their sin, Right? And, and look, sin is, look, can I, and I just, I, I wrote this down, and I just want to say this to all the guys, and, and I don't say this with guilt and shame because I was there and I had an addiction to pornography, but I'm, I'm actually dealing with somebody, not in here, don't try to figure it out, but this young man, okay, I know everybody, anytime I ever talk about something, they're always like, who is it? I wonder who it is. You know, you're like playing the Rolodex in your mind of everybody in the church. You don't even know everybody in the church, by the way, Okay. But I'm, I'm lit, literally dealing right now with a young man that's losing his marriage because of porn. Can I, can I just say to all the guys, if, if you, I'm just, just telling you, if you're dealing with pornography, just be, number one, be honest and, and allow the Lord to bring some healing. And if you're like, I don't know how to find that healing, talk to us. We're here, we're the church. I should have got an amen for that, right? Like, like we, we don't want you to hide sin. If you're having an affair, don't hide it. 
If you're having a struggle in your life, don't hide it, right? I promise you, I won't look down on you. I, I promise you, I won't. I promise you, I won't treat you differently. I promise you. We're here to help people find victory, amen? Okay, so, so this is what the Lord does in verse six. So um, it says this, so Israel is reduced to starvation. It's not a good place to be. Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Isn't it funny, on, on one end, when we're like, yeah, I'm good, I don't need you, Lord, I don't need the table, and then we get trapped, and then we get trapped, and then what do we do? We call out, right? So Israel calls out for the Lord for help. When they call out to the Lord, the Lord sent a prophet. What is that? It's just somebody that's gonna bring the word of the Lord to them, and he says to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says to me. I brought you up out of slavery, out of Egypt, I rescued you from the Egyptians who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. I am with you. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites who, who live in the land that you now live in, but you have what? You have not listened. You just haven't listened. You've just done whatever you wanted. So, so what the word is saying is, the Lord's going, I, I set this table up for you to strengthen you to overcome. Amen? You are called to overcome. You are called to be an overcomer. If you, listen, I'm telling you, and this isn't judgment, this isn't shame, condemnation, but if you are not overcoming sin in your life, you are probably not at the table with the Lord. It's probably a real indicator that you're not at the table with the Lord because that's what the table is set for, to help you overcome in life. Because, because here's the deal. He said, you must not worship any other gods. Okay, the Lord goes, it's just me and you. The table is just for me and you. It's not for me, you, and all the other gods and all the other things that you wanna worship. The table is designed for just me and you. You're gonna worship me, you're gonna love me. And how many of you know this, that life is a constant test of what you're worshiping? Life's a constant test of what you're worshiping. Did you know that every time you get paid, every time you get a paycheck, you tell the Lord what you worship? You either worship the Lord and tithe and give to him, or you worship yourself and go, God, I'm good, I got it. You're taking a test. Can I just be so bold to say this? I mean, I'm gonna be really bold right now, and some of you might just get really mad at me, and I don't really care. Really don't. Because there's a lot of people who go, oh, yeah, I serve the Lord, he has my heart. No, he doesn't, because he doesn't have your money. Money has your heart. Stuff has your heart. Right? What was the Lord's grievance with Israel? What was their sin? You, you didn't worship me first. That's the problem. You're not, did you know that, that your life is just, it's a test. You know, every, your time is a test. How you choose to use your time. Like Maria Monday, I, I'm celebrating her because she is using her personal time, right? And listen, I know we're all busy. But she's using her personal time to do what? Honor the Lord. She's winning the test. She's winning the test. The Lord goes, yeah, I see her. I see what she's doing for me. Everything we do is a test. Are we honoring the Lord? Are we choosing to put him first? Because here's what I know. You have whatever you worship. 
Don't be surprised. Don't be, let me say this. Don't be surprised when life doesn't work out, when, it's, when you're not honoring the Lord. Because it's like this. I'll put it this way, okay? Um, Michael, come here real quick. Just need you to hold this right here, okay? So, so when we choose to honor the Lord, when we choose to honor his word, when we choose to be obedient to his word, it is just like an umbrella, right? So when it rains, when life comes and it rains and it storms outside and we have an umbrella, right? We get under the umbrella and we get under what? We get under protection, right? So this is what the Lord is saying to Israel. The Lord is saying to Israel, you've come out outside of my protection because you've chosen to worship other things. You chose to put other things first instead of worshiping me, and there's a reason you're starving. This is, what, this is what the prophet is saying. He said, you're starving not because I ever desired for you to starve. That was never my plan. That was never my desire. That was never my heart. Please hear me. There are so many times, and I'm gonna talk about myself personally. There have been so many times in my life that I am starving in life. I am going through hell in life, and it has nothing to do with the Lord. I just stopped worshiping him. I decided to not be under his covering and his protection. Come on, get real loud for Michael, everybody. Today. Come on. Thank you. And you're like, well, how does this deal with inadequacy? Well, the Lord just, he wanted to put his finger on that for a second, okay? Verse 11. The Lord came, because the Lord's good, right? He's a good shepherd. A good shepherd will do what? He'll leave the 99 to go search for the one. He'll come find us. So the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. Why? Because they've been stealing everything. They've been taking everything. So he's hiding. He's hiding the grain. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and made a big statement. I'm talking about a big statement. The angel of the Lord came to him and said, you, Gideon, mighty hero, Mighty hero. Now, I don't know about you, but if an angel came from heaven and woke me up and told me, Jeff, you are the mighty hero, I would probably be like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. That, that's incredible. But where do we find Gideon? We find him hiding, right? We find Gideon where? In his feelings of what? Inadequacy. That's where we find him. He's in his inadequacy. So he goes, who, me? No, 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 you must be mistaken. There is no way that I'm the mighty hero. There's no way that you are picking me to save Israel. There's no way, no way. Because here's what inadequacy will do. Inadequacy will always make you feel really small, right? Anytime you get into the feelings of inadequacy, it makes you feel small. And then when you feel small, what do you do? You actually hide and run from what God has in store for your life. Because you feel inadequate. You don't feel 
like you have enough. Yet God is calling him. He's going, listen, you are the mighty hero. I've chosen you to go set my people free. Let me ask you a question. I want you to write this down today. In what area of your life has God called you mighty hero? Let me repeat that. In what area of your life has God called you? You are mighty hero. You are the one that I sent to the people at your job. You're the one that I sent to that neighborhood. Give you a quick story. I, I um, pulled up to the house the other day. My neighbor, his name is Tom. He was out in the yard. Uh, older guy, older gentleman, I love Tom. He's just an awesome, awesome guy. Just so thankful for great neighbors. How many of you are just thankful when you get good neighbors, okay? Like good neighbors, that's a big deal, okay? And so I got in my car and I just kinda, I just kinda looked at his face and the Lord just said, go talk to Tom. And so I walked up to Tom and I was like, hey, how you doing? How's life, you know? I know he just went on a trip. How was that trip? And you know, he started telling me about his trip and then, and then it just switched real quick. He said, you know what? My mom died the other day. And the Lord just opened up the door. And we just started talking about the Lord. We started talking about Jesus. I'm holding my Chipotle bag in his front yard. I'm serious, I have a bag of Chipotle, right? But God called me to be mighty hero at that moment. In what areas of your life is God calling you? He doesn't just call me. He doesn't just call pastors. He calls all of us. He says, you're my mighty hero. I've called you to help set people free. You have truth. You have understanding in your life. Point number two is this, the blame game. The blame game. Verse 13. Gideon replies, if the Lord is with us, how many times in a hard season of life have you thought, man, the Lord's not with us right now? How many times when you're facing trouble? How many times when your marriage is rocky? How many times when your kids are acting a fool? How many times when, you know, the, the math just doesn't line up and you just can't figure out how you're gonna take care of your life and your future? How many times when life is tough have you thought, Man, where's the Lord? Where is the Lord? Because here's what I want you to know. Your faith is not tested on the mountaintop. Your faith is actually tested where? In the dark valley. Why do you think, why do you think Jesus the good shepherd sets up a table, not at the mountaintop. Did you hear the wording? He didn't say, I set up a table for you and me at the mountaintop in your victories, in your triumphs, in your best days. He didn't say that. He told us, I set a table for you, where? In the dark valley, in the trouble in the hard places, because that is actually where your faith will be tested. When you are sitting with the Lord in the dark place, in that valley, that's when your faith is tested. That's when you have to know that you know that you know that you know that you know, right? You're with me. 
You got me. You, you have me and my family and my children. You, you got us. And here's Gideon, his response. After the Lord calls him mighty hero. Man, well, the gall. The Lord calls him mighty hero, and his response is, if the Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Remember why I told you I had to read the beginning for a reason? Here's why I had to read the beginning for a reason. Because he's saying, if, if the Lord, if the Lord, then why did all this happen? And the Lord's going, none of this happened because of me. Remember, you, 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 Israel, chose to do what? To worship other gods. He goes, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all the miracles our ancestors talked about? Isn't that a real prominent thing in the body of Christ right now? This idea that God doesn't do miracles anymore? It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie from the pit of hell. He says, he says where are all the miracles? Didn't they say that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But the Lord has abandoned us. Here, there it is. We don't know where this God is. I know you just called me mighty hero. I know you just spoke over me and chose me, but I, I don't know where you've been. He's abandoned us. He's handed us over to our enemies. Let me tell you something. Write this down. The feelings of inadequacy can cause you to blame God sometimes. The feelings of inadequacy, Right? Because you, you can look at the Lord and go, God, why didn't you give me that gift? Lord, if you would have just gave me that gift, if you would have gave me that wisdom, if you would have gave me that leadership ability, if you would have given me, you know, that, you know, I, all the moms, I know you all look at all the other moms and you think, God, if you would have just given me that patient, like that mom has to sit down and do crafts for 40 hours with their kids, you know what I mean, right? I mean, come on, right? Dads, we look, at, we look at guys in our neighborhood like, God, if you would have just given me that ability to take care of the yard that way, I mean, their yard is perfect all the time, like not a blade of grass out of place, right? We do that with God at our job. God, if you would have given me that ability, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. We blame God. Our Gideon is at the table and the enemy has really done one thing. The enemy has set up this perfect lie. And here's the lie. He comes to Gideon and goes, yeah, you're right. If God is good. Because isn't that the real question? Is God good? Right? Because he's good at the mountaintop. It's real easy to praise him at the mountaintop. It's really excited to praise him when you do see that provision or you do see that healing or you do see that moment that you got that job or you do see that moment that things came together. It's real easy to praise him on the mountaintop. It is a completely different place when you are in the valley. And the enemy comes to him, right? And he says, are you sure that God is good? Because I think... I believe that the Lord has left you. The Lord has abandoned you. 
I know your ancestors talked about these miracle things. <laughs> you hear the sarcasm, right? Isn't that a church thing? Because we want to limit God. Remember what God said in worship? He said, don't limit me. But we want to limit God because that's what we can understand, right? So we just limit God. We just go, well, I guess God did miracles back then, but he really doesn't do that today. So we just negate huge chunks of the Bible because we just believe that God doesn't do miracles anymore, right? And the enemy sets up this perfect lie to Gideon. And here's what's so interesting about when the enemy lies. When the enemy lies to you, you'll actually hear that individual vocalize the lie. So I'll give you an example. So Gideon, Gideon vocalizes the lie when he says, where are all the miracles? Right? The enemy has told him, God doesn't do miracles anymore. You are on your own. You have nowhere to go. Nobody's coming to help you. God's not going to help you. God doesn't show up like this anymore. So you can actually hear the lie of the enemy through what? Gideon's own speech. There are so many times I'm in conversations with people and I can actually hear the lies of the enemy through your mouth. Right? I understand uh, look, and I, and I know there's always, like, there's this tension. There's this tension between faith and facts, right? Because on one end, you're like, my marriage is really falling apart, Pastor Jeff. But I can hear the lie when you tell me, it's done, it's over. Well, why is it done and over? Did God say it was done and over? Or is that the the enemy of the, of the lie of the enemy. I get it. There's, there's, and this is, why, this is why a lot of churches go, we're not going to touch any of this. We're not going to touch miracles. We're not going to touch faith. We're, we're just going to dumb things down. We're just going to make God real small. And we're just going to put him in a box because it just doesn't always make sense. Can I just tell you something? Following God isn't going to make sense. Believing in the Lord is never going to make sense. And, it, and I'm just not going to dumb the Lord down. See, here's what I know. Gideon is on the verge. He's on the edge of seeing one of the greatest miracles in his lifetime. Like he's on the bleeding edge that he's not going to talk about his ancestors anymore. He's going to talk about what he saw. He's going to talk about the power that he saw. He's going to talk about the victory that he saw. He's on the edge of seeing this. Gideon himself is about to see the power of God and it's about to see God's plan come into reality. Can I just encourage you? There's a bunch of you today, I felt it when I was putting this message together, you're on the edge. And, and trust me, <clears throat> when you're on the edge, I promise you, the enemy, that's when he's going to come to your table. He's waiting for the right moment. He can see what God's doing in your life. He can see what God, how God is bringing restoration to you. He can see how God is healing you. He can see how God is restoring you. 
Gosh, I feel that really big. Uh, there's a bunch of you in here, and, and the Lord is, is starting to heal you. He's starting to restore you. He's starting to bring hope to you again. But the Lord says, watch out, because the enemy is about to come to your table. The enemy is about to come to your table. He wants to pull you away. He wants to drag you away. Point number three is this. Can he still do it? This is what Gideon's asking. Does God still do miracles? Does he still do it? And aren't we asking that same question right now? Like, can God work in America again? Right? Or, or, or has God, you know, I love, I love all the people online that just, just speak death over America all the time. Like, God's done with it. God's gonna judge it. God's gonna end it. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna speak death. I'm gonna speak life over our nation. I'm gonna speak life over the future of our nation. I'm gonna speak life over our people. I'm gonna speak life. I'm gonna believe that our God is a miracle-working God. But can he still do it? Can he do it in the midst of your trouble? Can he still perform miracles? Can, can he provide you a job that you don't deserve? Maybe you don't have the perfect resume. Maybe you don't have the perfect schooling, but, but you know you need more, your family needs more. Maybe God knows that you need more and he could actually bring you into a, his alignment at the perfect job at the perfect time and bless you and your family. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can God still do it? Right, that's the question. Can God still do it in these dark times? Can God still move? That's what Gideon's asking. He's been real insecure. He doesn't know. But in chapter seven, we see God's response to that. Gideon gathers a bunch of, a bunch of men to go to war. They're gonna go take back their land. They're gonna go take back what the Lord has set up for them. And God's response is so unique. In verse two, it says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors. If I let you and all these men fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me about how they saved themselves with their own strength. Now, I am no military genius, okay? I've never been to battle. I've never been to war. My brother has actually fought um, in battle. He's told me some stories. He did three tours. I'm super proud of my brother. Just super thankful that he fought for our country and our nation in that way. But I, I've never been to war. I've never been to battle. I'm not a military man. I'm a pastor. But here, here's what I do. Now, I, I've played paintball before. Anybody played paintball before? Okay. Okay. It's a great game. Here's what I know about when I played paintball. I want more people on my team than the other team has, right? So you would think the same thing about going to battle. You would think that Gideon would go, we should have more than them. That, that would probably make sense. But God's response is, nope, you have way too many people. You have too many warriors. Why, why is he saying that? He goes, because I want the glory. <laughs> I wrote this down. 
God loves when you're outnumbered. You don't. <laughs> God loves when you're outnumbered. God loves when you're outgunned. God loves when there's a giant in front of you and you can't cross into what he's giving you because of that giant. God loves that. You know why? Because it's the opportunity for his power to be released. And then you don't have any pride about it because you can only give God the glory. You can only give God the glory. It's all him. Me and Ryan, Ryan Earl, one of our elders, he remembers this. He remembers the day we bought this property and we went to Liberty Township and we told them that we were buying this property. And I'll never forget, we didn't, we didn't even ask them about this. We didn't even bring this up. It was just the enemy talking to us that day. One of, the, one of the people at Liberty Township looked at me and Ryan said, hey, I just want you to know, do not believe that you will ever build on that land. You remember that day? They said, you have no chance. Don't even try. So if you're buying this land with the thought of that someday, don't even do it. God loves when you're outnumbered. God loves when your back's against the wall. God loves when you feel inadequate when you feel like you don't have enough, when you know you actually don't have enough. Verse seven, the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give victory to you over your enemies. So what, what did God do? God sent home 21,700 men. 21,700 men, God sent him home. And I was looking at it the other day, and I was like, Lord, why did you send 21,700 men? He goes, because I had 300 that actually believed that I could do it. Did you get that? He said, I actually had 300 that believed that I could do it. So I had to get rid of all the other ones that didn't believe that I could do it. Why? Because God operates in the realm of faith. He operates in the realm of faith. He's looking to reward those that have faith in him. Let me encourage you. If you believe that you are the least, if you believe that you don't have it, if you believe that you are inadequate, if you believe that you are outgunned, you are outmatched, let me tell you something. You are in good company. You're at the right place. Because you're right there where God wants you. Now, here's what's interesting. A chapter before, the chapter before, Gideon told the Lord this. In chapter 6, verse 15, he said, he replied to the Lord, how can I rescue Israel? How can I do this? I, I want you to know that he tells the Lord, he goes, Lord, I want you to know, I'm the weakest in my clan. My people are the weakest of all the people. How have you chosen us? How have you asked me to do this? We're the weakest. 
And then God doubles down a chapter later and takes the weakest and sends home 21,700 men and makes them even weaker? <laughs> See, some of you are getting this right now. Some of it is clicking in you. You're like, yeah, 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 I know that feeling. I know feeling weak. I know feeling small. I know feeling inadequate. And God goes, great. I got you right where I want you. Because you're about to see a miracle that you can't perform. You're about to see me do something you can't do in your own strength. Verse 16. He divides the men into 300 into different groups. And he gave each man, the Bible says this, he gave them a ram's horn. Bill, can you come on up here real quick? This is Bill Price. He's one of our elders. Come on, get real loud for Bill Price, everybody. Come on. Now, here's the deal, okay? Can, can I see it real quick? Okay. Again, I'm no military genius, but here's, here's what I do know is this is that all the guys in our church don't have safe, safes at home and lock up ram's horns. Right? <laughs> he gave each one a ram's horn, a clay pot, and a torch. It makes no sense. There's no armor. There's no swords. I mean, at least David had a sling and a rock. What are they going to do with a bunch of horns? You know what they're going to do? <laughs> they're going to worship. They're going to praise. Because that, that is the greatest expression of faith is when you can worship in the darkness, when you can worship when it doesn't make sense, when you can worship when your back's against the wall, when you can worship when you go, we're outnumbered, we're outgunned, we're outmatched, nothing makes sense right now, but guess what? I'm gonna lift up my praise. I'm gonna lift up my praise. I'm gonna lift up my voice. I'm gonna lift up my worship. I'm gonna lift it up because my faith is not in what I see, but it's in who I worship. Remember at the beginning of this entire message, what was it all about? What did God have an issue with? They stopped worshiping him. It was all about worship. It's always about worship. What are you worshiping? Who do you worship? Do you worship fear? Do you worship anxiety? Do you worship stress? Do you worship lack? Do you worship these things? Or do you worship the God who is above those things? It's all about worship. He gives them a ram's horn. Verse 20 says this. Then all three groups blew the ram's horns. They get to the enemy's camp. How many remember that old song when you were growing up and I went to the enemy's camp? Remember that? Some of you are church like me, okay? You know, I mean... Man, I tell you what, if we did that song at church, you knew people were going to run. There was going to be people flipping. I mean, it was going down that day at church, right? They went to the enemy's camp. And they do what? They blow the horns. 
they broke the jars and they held up blazing torches. Real scary, right? I know you got a gun, but I got a horn. <laughs> oh, I love this. What's in your hand today? What's in your hand today? Remember the Lord said to the, the widow, what's in your hand? She said, I only got a little bit of flour. I only got a little bit of oil. I only got a little bit. What's in your hand today? I'll tell you what's in your hand today. There's praise in your hands. There is praise. There's worship in your hands. Each man stood his position around the camp and watched the Midianites rush around in panic. Did you know that when you worship, this is why the enemy fights you to not worship. I'm gonna tell you right now, because when you worship, it confuses the enemy. Right? You got the enemy in your finances. You got the enemy in your home. You got the enemy in your marriage. You got the enemy in your kids. You got the enemy in all kinds of areas of your life. And, and you feel like he's winning. You feel small and you feel inadequate. And the Lord just goes, just worship. Because your worship will confuse the enemy. The enemy, they start running around in panic. What do we do? Look at, look at all the torches. They broke clay pots. What are we going to do? It says this, when the 300 Israelites blew the ram's horn, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against themselves. Don't you know what the word tells you? That he will use the evil that the enemy has brought for your good. He will actually confuse the enemy. He will cause the enemy to fight against himself and to kill himself to bring you the victory. And guess what? You'll just go, man, God did it. God did it. It wasn't me. It wasn't my strength. All it was, it was just my worship. We chose as a family to worship the Lord. Can I encourage you? Choose today. Choose today who you will worship. Who will you honor? Who will you serve? Who will you serve in your finances? Who will you serve with your time? Who will you serve with your talents? Who will you serve in your life? Make today the day that you as a family decide. We no longer serve the world, but today we serve the Lord. We worship the Lord. We praise the Lord. We honor the Lord. He'll confuse our enemies. He'll disperse our enemies. He'll make our enemies kill themselves. He'll do it. This is what we're going to do. I want you to stand up today. Bill, come on up. Is that me? That's a power of God right there. Bill's going to blow this ram's horn. And, and listen, when he blows it, we're going to praise. Okay, and I know some of you are like, what is happening right now? What is going on? Okay, we're going to confuse the enemy. We're going to confuse the enemy in your life. We're going to confuse the enemy over your future, over your kids, over your finances. We're going to confuse the enemy with what? Our praise. Our praise.